on the surface the fast growing startup world with billions of dollars of opportunities looks very different from the not for profit world but they need not be atul satija founder of give india and the nash foundation is trying to bridge the two worlds with 17 years of work experience with companies like google inmobi and adobe he's now working in the not for profit sector to make a difference setting up incubators raising funds leveraging networks and chasing scale impact he's borrowing generously from the startup world's playbook and deploying them in the social impact sector how does he do that what has been his learning curve this is your host malini goel and in this episode of after hours with india inc atul talks to me about his journey so far and some important lessons he's learned hi atul welcome to the show hi malini thank you so much for having me here such a pleasure what a pleasure to have you here we are connecting after a very very long time i know that you know what i thought today we are going to focus on is uh, what are some of the things that you've learned in the startup sector and uh, startups and tech startups and social impact are very two very different worlds and you are trying to sort of make a transition from one to the other and understand how that transition has happened for you and how you are using some of those learnings etc in the social impact sector but before we do that why don't you tell us a bit about the nudge foundation the encore the gurukul program what all you do here malini i started the nudge foundation in 2015 with a very singular purpose which was to work on poverty alleviation and do it at scale so that's how we started when we spent time in the slums and communities in bangalore and delhi the number one theme that popped up for us was young people feeling generally not happy with the way their life was turning out to be either they were underemployed even if they had a job or they were unemployed and in some cases actually in many cases they were unemployable also so we started our journey with the skilling programs focusing on the what they call the capability model of change you build capabilities of people for them to have better life outcomes we started with that that has evolved from fully residential gurukul programs where we skilled thousands and thousands of people for various kinds of jobs driving beauty data entry plumbing electrician so now with covid we have gone online and we skill people for service oriented jobs retail hospital hospitality bpo using communication skills and 21st century skills to get them to be employable and employed but in this journey of building the skilling for urban youth or people who were migrating from rural areas to urban areas to get into urban jobs we realized that increasingly our student base was shifting to be rural and we started working on rural development 3 years back with a very similar mindset on how do we get families to have better life outcomes through livelihood interventions and in rural because it is very agri and dairy centric we do a lot of programs in jharkhand and up and work with women at the center to get the ultra poor women to come out of ultra poverty through small economic activities and we work in up with the marginal farmers or landless labor and work on goatry and poultry models for supplementary income to get them out of poverty so this is the what i call the vertical work right we work on the livelihoods uh, domains in urban and rural areas while we were doing that we realized that unlike the for profit ecosystem you mentioned about the startup world that i spent some time on before coming into social sector we realized that the ecosystem is not vibrant with energy and action as much as uh, you see for example startup world and that is absolutely essential for energy ideas and enthusiasm even belief and hope and just the youthful you know optimism that is needed to solve social problems and we thought that the talent and capital equation needs to be solved for which means that it should be easier for talent to come to the social sector whether it is the economic viability social pride associated with non profit jobs or making it a two way street and not just one way saying that if you come to non profit sector you may not go to corporate back right so we looked at talent as one lever and the second is capital which means how do you bring money into the non profit or the social problems 
to make it easier for people to come and work on it and the viability of problems getting solved is uh, cracked so we started the talent as a big piece of our work starting second year of the naj in 2016 and now we run a series of 7 to 8 programs in that we run a non profit launchpad incubator accelerator grand challenges fellowships uh, and other similar programs to get talent into the sector we have graduated 100 plus non profits from our uh, cohorts over the years many of them are forbes 30 under 30 asia now and many are winning awards like the mit solve uh, finalist last year and the devi award from uh, central government and many others like that and they have collectively gone on to touch 15 million plus lives through their interventions on the capital side uh, i mostly work through my give india hat where uh, the idea is to provide a platform and an ecosystem where donors can find non profits easily have uh, trust on them based on the work that we do behind the scenes to give them that comfort and the mobilization of money happens much faster than it would without us this is the range of work we do through my both hats nagin give india you've been in this startup world the tech world for profit world and the not for profit as well and uh, help us understand what are some of the big sort of differences in the two sectors that you've operated in and also maybe there are similarities as well as an entrepreneur as a senior executive and a leader um the areas of similarity and dissimilarities between the two spaces malini on one hand we have seen that the talent and capital ecosystem in the for profit is diagonally opposite to what you have in the non profit sector every engineer doctor lawyer artist journalist everybody is solving for the world's most lucrative problems in many cases there is an overlap with important problems but in most cases important problems and lucrative problems may not be the same especially as the countries get richer and richer you can make a lot of wealth serving the top 1% of the population or top 10% of the population which will create solutions like you will have a drone delivery of a salad in your 20th floor of a fancy building before there is a drone delivery of a medicine or a vaccine to a dying mother in jharkhand in a tribal area and there is no disagreement on what is more important but the reality is that the talent needed to solve that is not necessarily able to appreciate that problem because of lack of viability and lack of the funding ecosystem to crack that problem so a lot of talent there and a lot of capital there in the non profit world both the ingredients that are required to solve anything at scale actually are in much less supply it's very scarce if i were to say that there are a lot of amazing people in the development sector but given the size of the problems we could easily make do with 10 100x more so that is a that is a fundamental design of the ecosystem problem at the starting itself and then there are downstream problems that emanate in many cases out of these two things being missing and in many cases from other reasons uh, you know how problems are more wicked for example you know one of the things i learned is most problems in the social sector uh, by definition are multidimensional which may or may not be the case in for profit sector so for example if i am a skilling organization in a for profit sector i bring people into the program they pay for the program i create value for them and after that uh, they may or may not get a job it is up to them right so it's a linear problem Uh, it has multiple facets but not as many dimensions to be cracked if i am looking at a non profit sector let us take the minimum wage right if minimum wage goes up that decision is not singular in one dimension saying oh let me increase the minimum wage by increasing minimum wage more people will have that limited money right increasing minimum wage discourages many organizations who are operating at the margin to reduce their investments because they can't afford that salary to make their business viable so they are less competitive from let us say poorer countries who may not have a minimum wage and now they can produce that good at a lower cost so business shifts when we are doing work in our skilling programs in rural areas we bring people they get skilled and then they go and join a starbucks in a linear way i can imagine that oh you know i'm creating value this person was living in a village wanted a better life was educated i brought them to a city program i skilled them and put them in a job i'm great somebody comes and asks me a question saying atul how do you know it is really an impact what if the neighbor also got the same starbucks job without your program now if i'm a for profit company i say how does it matter right like uh, the person paid for it and uh, uh, i created value maybe i skilled better than my uh, some other skilling company but in social impact i have to see what is the control group against which i am delivering value 
So that becomes one dimension to compare on. Let us say, even if you go back and say, look, I created somebody to get skilled and get a job, but the person in the same village, other things being the same, did not get the same outcome. So I created net value. Somebody comes and says, well, how do you know that is still social value created? How do you measure this impact? Because Starbucks has only two jobs. And let us say if there's an economy with two jobs, but there is a supply of four villages, just because the neighbor didn't get a job and your student doesn't mean that is a net value. Those same two jobs would have gotten filled anyway. So you took value out of some other village maybe nearby, but that doesn't mean societal value added. So in social sector, because you are working with philanthropic capital and creating social impact, you have to take a step back and focus on fundamental value creation and not value extraction. And that is, uh, that is what I mean by the problems are wicked when you look at all of this. Most economic decisions, even government decision making is very wicked, right? You have a skilling ministry, but there are 17 ministries who do skilling. Ministry of Industry and Commerce, Finance, Shipping, uh, Tourism, they all skill. So how do you sort of make sure that by investing in uh, one area, you're not creating a perverse incentive in the marketplace? So I think that makes problems uh, more complex. Uh, the burden to make sure that you are using the, the capital and your time and life well, because that's the only thing you're working for, social impact. This is the way they are different, right? Uh, in the sense that the talent capital equation is not right, the problems are more wicked. The way they are seen is that I think the fundamental problem-solving approach through which you solve problems in the corporate world applies here as well. You go to a community, understand their issues, you absorb the problem, you do understand who else is doing it and blah, 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 but still you want to carry that problem-solving mindset to be able to solve. As it solves, you start growing it, go from you know, 100 people, you are able to help 2,000 people to 10,000 people and apply the principles that you know in the corporate world work to say, how do I now grow and scale it? Uh, so in many ways, it is very similar when you're looking at the problem-solving aspect of nonprofit sector as well. I thought two questions. You've been now in the social sector for more than five years. What has been the toughest part of your journey so far as a social entrepreneur? And also some of the learning curve, some of the early mistakes you made as a social entrepreneur with presumptions sort of arrived at in the corporate world and then you realize that that isn't working. So two questions, uh, the toughest part of this journey as a social entrepreneur and some hard lessons learned over the last five, seven years that you've been here. It's a very important question, Malini. Thanks for asking. The toughest part of this journey, Malini, has been that we still haven't cracked the talent part for ourselves at the nudge. And even at Give India, we struggle with that. The speed and pace at which I've been able to hire in my past life, I'm not able to do in this life. And even though we have really, really amazing team, probably one of the best teams I've ever worked with in my life, including all my previous corporate stints, but the speed at which you can build the team is much slower. And we still haven't cracked it. And that is my, if you could call it like the permanent frustration that you live with that, you know, finding awesome people is very hard and uh, it doesn't grow as fast as, as you want. So that's been that part. It is compensated by the fact that the work you do is so meaningful and so joyful that, uh, you know, kind of despite that challenge, uh, you still sort of power through. Uh, but that's been the toughest. So uh, just staying on this part, Atul, what is the toughest part? Why? Is it compensation? Is it the sectoral sort of construct that doesn't attract people? Why, why is this problem so sticky, so such a wicked problem to solve for you? So Malini, I think the most obvious layer at the top, and that's not superficial, but very deep, is the economic viability. And it is not just the short-term difference, somebody making $100 elsewhere and we pay them 20, 30, 40, that's one time. But that 100 gets to 500 much faster than my 20 will get to 100. So the lifetime opportunity cost of that decision in economic terms is very high. That is, uh, that is one uh, a big challenge. There are also challenges that the society, because we are a, uh, we are a very young uh, country, uh, you know, we got liberalized 30 years back, 32 years back, most of the wealth accumulation happened in the last two decades. We still haven't seen uh, non-profit sector and the corporate sector partner together to look at social problems and how people saw non-profits was still non-profits that were working in silos through activism and advocacy influencing government or doing grassroots service delivery in a very meaningful way in certain areas and communities. But the problem-solving mindset 
market and non-profit sector is very recent, which is the last two decades, two and a half decades old. So it is moving from service delivery to this, which means that the mindset with which even talent looks at the non-profit sector, just given how uh, new the problem solving part of the non-profit sector is, is not very straightforward. People think that, oh, if I join the non-profit sector, will I get a job in a corporate bank? Will those be lost years in my resume? It is well established that when you spend some time in the social sector, these schools, especially globally, will see that as a, as a good value add in your resume, right? But that is not true for talent looking for experience. Uh, and we have seen that mental barrier also play a role. The third, which is also there, is that society's busyness in solving for lucrative problems, we are not even in the consideration set of talent in most cases. So we have to go and say, look, we exist. You know, Have you considered it? And then you realize that, look, out of 100 people to talk to, there are two, three people who are ready to make that switch, despite the salary challenge and uh, the perception issues. But if you have to make that dialogue as a one-on-one, there is no air cover. How VCs come and make a larger dialogue happen in the country that makes it easier for parents to understand why their kids are doing startups. Or a Shark Tank on TV makes a social narrative saying, oh, yeah, yeah, it's cool to do a startup, right? That has to happen for the social entrepreneurship as well. And we are trying to solve some of those issues by making sure that the salary cut is there, uh, which is unfortunately the case given the problems are not as lucrative or market viable. Can we reduce the gap a little bit? Can we use the corporate learnings and the tools we have used in the startup ecosystem to focus on brand building as an employer a lot more? Can we have the benefits for employees beyond the salary that makes them uh, understand that the organization really values them here? And those are the things we are trying to use to solve for the, you know, the narrative and the perception of nonprofit. Atul, one of the areas that, uh, you know, some of the conversations I've had with uh, people in the not-for-profit sector is also the work environment. If you look at um, the not-for-profit sector, especially historically, they are not necessarily um, large organizations. They are very, very passionate people at the helm, but there is a bit of chaos, or maybe chaos isn't the right word, but the way organizations are led, scaled, um, there are lots of small sort of outfits with not too many scaling up. Uh, so the work environment is one of the areas that some people flag. And what difference can people like you, who've come from this corporate sector, led scaled companies, and building more scaled not-for-profit here, uh, what are sort of ways in which you are trying to make a difference there? I think there are a couple of points in what you said that I agree with Malini on. There is room for us improving the work environment for more talent to come in. Uh, but I wouldn't want to brush the nonprofit sector that is there or has been there for ages now with that view that you know work environment isn't good. It is tough for sure because uh, uh, you know you have to work where poverty is, for example, or where your uh, communities that you want to serve are. And that makes it tougher job, easily far tougher. But not necessarily work environment being not as good. If anything, I have seen to my, uh, shouldn't have been a surprise, but it probably was that everybody here is much, much higher on empathy than I have seen in corporate sector, right? Because that is what brings people here. So the average level of empathy in the organization is much higher, which means an average level of respect for peers and collaboration is also much higher. So in fact, nonprofits are a much nicer work environment to work in if you want to work collaboratively with like-minded people who are passionate about what they are doing. So those are actually much more positive things in nonprofits, independent of whether they started in 50s, 60s, 70s, or recently. I think one of the new things that we are doing as a new age nonprofit, a young nonprofit, is that we are listening a lot more to the younger talent, the millennials, and following the trends of the corporate sector as well to inform what they should be doing. For example, at the Nudge, we have unlimited leaves. At Give India also, we have unlimited leaves because everybody is working so hard. You're not counting their evening hours or late night hours or all nighters at times. Then why should we count their, you know, an extra day here and there? They carry work on weekends. Uh, if you're not counting their work hours, why are you counting their non-work hours? Uh, we have uh, most of the things are built on very high trust uh, on people uh, rather than having a lot of processes to control stuff. We have unlimited, so for example, we don't have expense policies. You know, people on trust spend and as long as it has legit spend, it is all reimbursed. Nobody has ever overspent in any way. So a lot of these, uh, we have mental health support services for all of our employees. Your third party uh, organizations come and provide mental health support to our employees anonymously. You know, for the talent, all these small things help for them to 
understand that we are no different in what they have come to expect from any organization going back to the question that we were uh, sort of discussing some of the learnings some of the mistakes that you have made and learned over the years as you've been in the social sector so in terms of uh, uh, the mistakes that we have made uh, malini personally i feel that uh, i walked in uh, with a lot of energy enthusiasm and optimism so my pleasant surprise uh, continue to carry the same childlike curiosity and you know the fresher energy and mindset till today but i think i underestimate the complexity of the problem and the existing depth of the ecosystem the interplay between the governments the markets and civil society as we have gone into it we have started appreciating the past work we appreciate the role of the government in giving what we have as a society we, we usually uh, under uh, acknowledge you know what we have I also underappreciated the role of the markets in solving many of the problems. When you are on the market side, you just assume that you know you're doing kind of things with a certain mindset. But now, when I look back at poverty alleviation journey of the country in the last 70 years, I have much higher appreciation for all stakeholders in the journey and much higher appreciation of the complexity of the problem that I am set out to solve. The way it translated to our programs, uh, Malini, uh, in terms of uh, learning slash mistake, is it's allowing us to take a step back and say, "Oh, now I realize that it's a marathon. Let me not run it like a sprint." That doesn't mean that we take a step back. But as that appreciation came in, and as we internalized, we kind of took a pit stop, packed ourselves differently for the long journey ahead in terms of seeing it as a journey of insane uh, impact, but also over the long term and recalibrate ourselves for that. That doesn't mean that we re- recalibrate our aspiration at all. It just means that we can pack ourselves differently on capabilities, on uh, capacity of the organization, and many many things like that. We also uh, did not collaborate as much because we had our blinders on and we were running it like a sprint, like in a short race, uh, like horses. You put your blinders on and run as fast as you can. Uh, while we still continue to have a very high degree of impatience healthy impatience towards the goals we realize that there are other people along us and it is not a race with peers right it is partnership with everyone to solve the social problem i think we are now consciously opening ourselves up to say who can we work with who is uh, solving a similar problem in a different way either to contribute our learnings or to pick their learnings so we can do it together faster like the african proverb right if you want to go fast go alone and if you want to go far go together so i think that sort of shift has uh, has happened for us uh, based on the the way we ran the first 5 years atul you mentioned about working with the government and uh, you know from the outside it really looks like such a tough exercise to work with the government but i know that many people in the not for profit sector know very well that if you want to make a scale impact working with the government is extremely critical so two questions are uh, linked questions what have you learned about working with the government and why is it so important and what have you learned about how to work effectively with the government more efficiently with the government again a very very critical question for non profit entrepreneurs social entrepreneurs in general malini so malini on one hand you have non profits who at a certain level feel that government is there to solve all social problems and if they are not solving it then uh, we should just go and contribute to it so we supplement government on providing teachers in our government schools or providing uh, uh, meals to kids if they are hungry or give them supplementary education at home building toilets in schools whatever uh, thing you are doing right? so you supplement government in a small way and you're like a grain of sand in a big 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 jar the other end of non profits are saying that just because government is not able to solve everything uh, doesn't mean that we should start doing how do we make sure that we contribute to how do we help government do it better can we partner with government to make government do better because government have resources government has the mandate of doing it and uh, are there ways for us to do it obviously there are people who when they see government decisions not aligned with them uh, there is a voice against it like we saw with the, the farm laws last year or uh, when people feel like government is thinking the right way but maybe they don't have they've not heard the voice of this audience or maybe they don't have this perspective can i add my perspective and there are think tanks policy advocacy organizations uh, who do that part as well so these are two extremes now in between when you want to affect any large scale change we know that there's a huge government machinery 
and you don't have to be just a grain of sand on one end and have a low probability long term way of influencing government alone you can also partner with government in that journey and along the action work that you do with government bring large scale change and many of our uh, the work that we do all actually fits into that so coming to uh, uh, why is government that important i think it is essentially to do with the fact that government has unlike countries like botswana uh, and many many poor countries in africa which don't have resources at the government level their private sector philanthropy and global aid if they have those resources can come and solve for it that is not the case in india in india government's expenditure budget tripled between 2011 and 2021 india is not a poor country anymore india is a middle income country with poor people because of that uh, because government has resources it is much easier to uh, it just higher leverage to work with government to bring change if that is what you want to go after if you want to buy goods leaf for yourself then just charity is good enough running a small non profit is good enough or uh, you know any other sort of proxy for that is good enough but if you want a large scale change change at the scale of the problems of india i think government is a very very lucrative partner to work with despite the challenges now when we work with the, the government uh, malani on one hand i know that we have not cracked so there are two paths to working with government when you work with government at the senior levels and higher levels to be honest i have been very surprised with how government has been in more cases than than i thought was there committed capable and insanely working hard towards with a sense of urgency to bring change i have been pleasantly surprised with that consistently across states i have seen that in jharkhand i have seen that in karnataka i've seen that in in up i've seen that in delhi the degrees of uh, you know how easy it is to work with each of these governments is different but i've seen lot of amazingly smart bureaucrats very committed to doing it and all of them work insanely hard so that's been the good part and so many politicians also have been extremely committed about change and doing it at a good level that's a good part of the journey and that is the reason why we have indian administrative fellowship in uh, karnataka with the karnataka government where we bring senior executives to the government to bring to support the the uh, you know bureaucrats uh, larger mandates we have a uh, spv with niti aayog through their atal innovation mission where we are jointly working for technology non profit incubation we are working with the ministry of rural development where we have a project management unit uh, with mord to work with the ultra poor audience across the country we work with jharkhand government with their state livelihood promotion society for our uh, ultra poor and tribal communities in naxalite hit areas in particular in jharkhand we also work with the the office of the psa professor vijay raghavan uh, with him and the organization helping us on the grand challenges like the cisco agri challenge and others we have done so we had a very very good experience working with various government agencies center and state uh, uh, planning like niti to central like psa as well as to specific operating entities like jharkhand livelihood society and what is the intent of doing this cross pollination learning how the two very distinct and different setups work well i think it is based on the design of the program right let us say if we want to solve for how government induced change in karnataka can actually help the underprivileged across the across the state so indian administrative fellowship is largely saying how can we bring senior executive talent to the social sector that can bring about disproportionate change working at the highest levels in the state government they will also bring innovation from the corporate sector to social sector or will leverage the learnings of the entire social sector to bring into karnataka government as candidates for them to evaluate and in many cases uh, all of these will also stay in the social sector as senior executives once the fellowship is over we hope and multiple lecks to that impact so depending on the need of the program we bring the capabilities in in many cases we bring government because they have the budgets and large scale machinery to implement programs and innovations that work in some cases you want to bring innovation sometimes government is funding the work that you do and they promoting your work like in the case of niti aayog's funding our atal innovation mission incubator what we have not been able to crack is you know as you go and work with government machinery not just at the top but all the way to the last mile government workers in deep rural areas right uh, state rural livelihood missions asha workers anganwadi workers manrega workers on the ground as you go from uh the cent- uh, basically the highest level of administration to the lowest level of service delivery 
working across uh, is very very difficult and that is something that we as naj were very afraid of historically we still are but we have not tried and we are starting to do that in both up and jharkhand now where we have partnerships with livelihood and rural development departments and see how we crack that but that is where it becomes very very challenging because you know the different incentives come in play uh, capacity open headcount but there is a scheme so nobody can actually deliver a service all of those challenges come into play poor infrastructure in places we still haven't had a chance to uh, work with the government in a deep way uh, but many many non profits have created at a certain scale and we hope to learn and, and crack that ourselves atul one of the things that uh, you do one does very well in the corporate sector is building networks leveraging networks and that network effect especially in the tech sector you see it happen and now that you are in the social sector how important is it for you to leverage those networks and it could be in many ways right you know either finding talent getting funding uh, or just collaborating at so many levels so help us get a sense how important are networks in the social sector and because you've transitioned from a corporate to the not for profit leveraging those networks Uh, in some of these areas like funding etc how critical is it and how have you leveraged it manly the value of networks and even the network effect to some extent is actually far higher in the non profit sector i feel than it is in the for profit sector because of what i said earlier the multi dimensional nature of almost all social problems poor are poor not just because they don't make higher income but because their kids are not having good public education if they don't have good education they grow up uneducated which means they are also stuck in that they take expensive debt a similar small health issue means they are again in debt and they don't come out of that cycle and it is education linked it is health linked it is social norms linked it is uh, 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 geographic sort of uh, uh, issues racial issues gender issues all of these things are linked so problems are multidimensional and hence the value of collaboration and networks is even higher in multidimensional problems than it is in linear problems and hence it is i feel very critical now uh, uh, in for profit sector because of the economic activity being very dense uh, by dense i mean top 3 cities have a large amount of growth right we see all the startup charts where delhi and bangalore and bombay are competing delhi is saying we have more number bangalore is saying but what size like you see economic activity is becoming more and more dense networks are becoming easier efficiencies are getting solved because more and more nuanced platforms are coming to solve it like let's venture to find angels you know ecosystem is getting more and more mature for less and less number of people leaving in certain cases where solutions are reaching large number of people in the non profit sector your customers are extremely scattered even to understand them is very difficult for that you have to travel far and wide because of the capital gap in the sector and talent gap in the sector even the intermediary ecosystem is very weak for example we are running a small giving platform through give india right there are some others as well where are all the other like the number of incubators in hsr are more than number of incubators in non profit sector in the entire country which makes it even more difficult to discover your peers there are no collaboration opportunities for people to bump into each other which happens in so many forums right events convenings cohorts of learning cohorts of incubation acceleration there is much less activity of that kind in the social sector in the for profit sector there is a lot of strong vertical value chain partnerships like a vc partnering with a startup a startup partnering with downstream distributors distributor working with retailers there is a vertical integration that is very smooth now but there is also peer and uh, ecosystem uh, uh, e- uh, networks that are leveraged very very quickly like one angel connects you with 10 more angels but one donor doesn't connect me with 10 more donors almost uh, never so uh, because there is an economic value for a investor there they want to have more people come in so that the probability of the startup success goes up right like there are incentives aligned but here despite the incentives the time allocated is much less and hence it is difficult so this is sort of you know the state of the union uh, uh, on i see there is more value to be had in non profits with networks but less in practice uh, there 
but it is starting to change at the top of the food chain in the nonprofit sector as well. And there are three examples. When Gates Foundation in US uh, and many other foundations realized that this one organization taking a large problem like polio eradication that BMGF took and working on it is happening, it is far more difficult journey. Then if you were to pool the money, that makes the money larger. That also make more minds come together to commit to that problem. And it lives beyond the, the founding, the founder commitment and lifetime. So Co-Impact has been created in US, which is an organization that is a gathering of six, seven very, very large uh, philanthropists, including Nilekanis in India, who are committing to funding Co-Impact. And Co-Impact is then looking at insanely large and ambitious projects globally who should be funded. So uh, some kind of networks are coming together. Then recently, uh, uh, there is this entire narrative of collective impact that is starting to take shape, which is basically saying how can multiple nonprofits serving an audience in different ways come together and take a common goal. For example, we started something with H&M Foundation the H&M apparel and uh, consumer brand. H&M Foundation said, uh, uh, how do we work with waste pickers starting with Bangalore? And uh, uh, we work together and uh, there is a program that we launched together called Samuika Shakti, Collective uh, Strength, where we are working with the life of the waste pickers in Bangalore, but not just how their work is seen as seen with dignity, how they have a voice in local uh, administration, uh, with BBMP in particular in this case, how their kids, for example, if there is a large Bangla community doing waste picker work in Bangalore, how can they have a Bengali teacher in school, vernacular sport, public health participation? There are different pieces to it, right? So we have this collective, which is a three-year commitment for all waste pickers in Bangalore for their overall life outcomes. But there is Hasiru Dala on one end, there is BBC Media Action for Narrative Building, there is the other non-profits, the other parts of the puzzle. So it is starting to happen that people from, a, from the funding standpoint create collective and they request a partner like us to be the backbone to make this entire thing happen and bring all stakeholders together by design. One incidental thing that happened uh, Malini very recently because of COVID is that uh, there was so much requirement in the country for COVID response that at Give India VCD, why don't we bring everyone together? There is so much work to be done. And we did something called India COVID Response Fund. Very quickly, we saw, you know, Dr. Devi Shetty, Kiran Majumdar Shaw, Sanjeev Mehta from Unilever, uh, Amitabh from Axis, and so many other partners, Shilpa from Omidya, they all joined the giving uh, uh, fund and contributed, but they also gave their weekly advice on what is the best way to respond to COVID this week, because the wave was changing uh, shape every day, right? And that allowed us to put this together where we had one and a half million people donate, 25 people in the advisory board, three people in steering committee. 25 foundations together and 210 nonprofits come together to respond to COVID. And we deployed more than 1,000 crores on COVID response over two years. And it was a good example of how power of uh, uh, network and collective can bring disproportionate change. It is not linear, it is you know, exponential. Uh, that's pretty much how we have sort of seen networks play out. My last question to you, Atul, is on the donors. And I know that many not-for-profits struggle to raise funds. And you've raised funds from very impressive set of donors from Nandan Nilekani, Tomedia Network, to McKenzie. What have you learned about fundraise uh, for your not-for-profit? Uh, and any lessons, uh, any learnings that others could sort of benefit from? So, Malini, I've seen two bottlenecks uh, that uh, most non-profit that are struggling with fundraising fall into. Either the only person doing the fundraising for that nonprofit is the founder, and they never build an organization within the nonprofit that uh, manages uh, fundraising as a function. I understand why donors need to see nonprofit founders and why they give money and, and things like that, but you can always create an organization that makes it far easier for you to scale fundraising. Most nonprofits struggle to create that engine and hand it over more and more parts of fundraising to the team. The second uh, pitfall that most nonprofits have in fundraising is to some extent having an unhealthy disrespect for fundraising as a requirement itself. There is this assumption that yeah, we are doing work that is socially relevant, right? We are, we are solving a problem that is not mine, it is society's. If I'm giving my life to this problem solving, why is the money not coming? Society should fund it. 
while that is wishful thinking uh, many nonprofits uh, probably rationally have accepted the fact that they have to go with the begging bowl like any company goes to find customers to pay but their energy to do it is uh, is not high so the respect that the fundraising as a function needs to get in the organization has to be much higher i mean why combinator paul graham like these guys talked so much about the fact that uh, you have to learn to sell it is a very very important skill and it is consciously it needs to be built consciously and i don't think nonprofits have prioritized and given respect to the function that it deserves and the ones which have done it like given respect to the work and they do it and build an organization to increasingly have them scale it i have seen they are able to crack it it is not a complex problem it is just requires that energy and focus for it to happen in our journey malni we have just been to be honest uh, you know because i started after 18 years in the corporate sector and when i exited uh, i was lucky to be a part of one of india's first unicorns or early unicorns and with some uh, uh, reputed brands in my sort of resume behind that made it easier for us to get the first few believers in like nandan was the first person who came on board and supported and because of that you know the trust in the ecosystem for you and your capabilities is higher and more people come on board so we kind of got lucky given uh, how i exited and how i started but i would also say that we focused on it because my past background is in business development and growth and functions touching the execution part of the organization we also focused on it and built a team and that team has now uh, scaled the the fundraising engine for for the nudge uh, and obviously given india is just a giving platform so that's all we do there for other nonprofits i think that has scaled because of that Uh, i really think that uh, you know so many startups shut down for lack of runway you know sometimes they are very good products as well there is no runway because they couldn't guide the first investor in time and this is pre the current madness where there are more vcs than startups right or there is more capital than startups need even at that point in time you know startups were shutting down because there was no runway and i didn't want much to be in that state and hence we focused on it many nonprofits need to really uh, give the the function the due that it deserves thanks atul this was a lovely conversation thank you so much for for sharing insights from your journey and the learning curve there Thank you so much Shadul. Thank you Malini. Thanks for having me here. You were listening to After Hours with India Inc by Malini Goel. Mixed and edited by Shashwat Kumar. To get more insights into contemporary business and corporate culture, do subscribe to us. After Hours with India Inc is available on Spotify, Ghana, Apple Music and various other streaming platforms. To get regular updates about this podcast, follow the Twitter handle at Goyal Malini. For any feedback, email us at toiplus.podcast at timesinternet.in.